we have some more of these in. A hundred Bible verses everyone should know by heart. One hundred Bible verses everyone should know by heart. And they're out on the resource table. And uh, we ran out, but we got some more this week. So stop by, pick you up a copy. This is what I'm currently going through with my two boys, my two teenagers. And uh, it's just a, a great devotional tool. And so make sure you check that out. You ready for the word? Let's stand to our feet, take our Bibles in our hands. Let's make our confession loud and strong. Come on, this is my Bible. It is the Word of God. And I believe it. I will not be conformed to the image of this world. I will be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Today, I'm taking another step toward God's plan, God's purpose, God's destiny for my life. I will never be the same in Jesus' name. If you believe that, shout amen. Amen. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to conclude our series called Contagious, Courageous. (laughs) Courageous. How many know that courage is contagious? How many know fear is also contagious? In fact, the sad thing is fear is probably more contagious than courage. Amen? You remember the ten spies that came back with an evil report? Y'all remember that? Does anyone remember their names? No, No, you want to know why? Because we don't remember the names of losers. Who were the two spies that came back with a good report? Joshua and Caleb. You know what? We name our kids after those men. We don't name our sons after the ten losers who failed to believe God. Amen? And you remember the ten came back. It was a serious thing. They came back and it says, man, they corrupted the rest of Israel. The rest of the nation. So fear is uh, contagious. And, uh, but you know what? I believe courage can be too. Amen. And so as we wrap up this series on uh, contagious courageousness, um, we're going to end it and dovetail into a new series. And as we do that, I want to remind you that you know, we're to be courageous instead of being complacent. Amen. God commands us to be courageous in Joshua chapter 1. Verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Now, listen, church, isn't that why we're here? Isn't that what we all want? Isn't that what we all desire and long for? We want to be successful in everything we do. Talk to me, somebody. We want to be successful in our walk with God. We want to be successful in our marriages, in our parenting, in our jobs, in our careers, in our finances, in our relationships, in our hobbies. Right? We want to be successful in everything we do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So he says be strong and courageous. How many know this is a commandment? It's not a suggestion. And the reason he gave this commandment is because you are the one who will lead these people to possess all that God has for them. So 
We are the ones who will lead our kids into all that God has in store for them. And so in order to do that, we talked about how you got to be a warrior versus a wimp. And in order to be a warrior, you have to reject passivity. We can't be like Adam and just sit idly by while the enemy picks apart our family. We have to reject passivity. And we have to accept responsibility. You remember our three primary responsibilities that define a man? God has given us a a will to obey, a work to do, and a woman to love. So we have to reject passivity, accept those responsibilities, and lead courageously. Last week we talked about how we must be fighters versus flyers. And in spite of all the challenges we face, how many know that fleeing is not an option. Doing nothing is also not an option. We must fight for our families. We'll fast forward ahead to 1 Kings chapter 18. It's also up on the screen. And it's a familiar passage. This is where there's a standoff between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And as they get ready to throw down, Elijah makes this statement in 1 Kings 18, verse 21. Elijah came to all the people and he said, How long? Come on, say how long. Turn to your neighbor and say, How long? How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God... Follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. The message says this. I like this. It says, Elijah challenged the people, how long are you going to sit on the fence? How long are you going to sit on the fence? If God is the real God, then follow him. If it's Baal, follow him. Make up your minds. And so as we launch into this new series, and especially the message I have for you today, I want to challenge you as well. In light of the question Elijah asked, how long will you falter between two opinions? How long are you going to sit on the fence? Because in all honesty, there's really only two ways you're going to live. You're either going to waste your life or you're going to live a life of wisdom. Your life is going to be a life of waste or it's going to be a life of wisdom. And it's a life of wisdom when we embrace a will to obey, his will, a work to do, and a woman to love. But how long are we going to falter? So the questions I have, how much time do you need? How many sermons do you have to hear? How many warnings do you have to receive before we simply say, okay, I'm just going to obey God. I'm just going to do what God said. Is this okay this morning? And listen, I realize that as we do this series and we launch into a new series, Focusing on the family, 
I realize it may seem like I've been I'm beating a dead horse. I mean, basically, over the last three weeks, I've been saying the same thing, but just a different way. Are you, we, we need to be courageous instead of being complacent. We, we need to be warriors instead of being wimps. We need to be fighters instead of being flyers. So, same message, same theme, just saying it a different way. And as I was bringing this series to an end, I just still couldn't help but felt, feel real strong in my heart that we're not done yet. That we got to keep the focus here on our homes. We got to keep the focus here on our families. And the reason why I believe I feel that strongly is, you know, we can't keep sitting on the fence. For years, we have been as a nation in a values vacuum. Hmm? We've been in a permissive society where basically since the 60s, right? Sex and drugs and rock and roll, free love, free drugs. And now we're reaping the whirlwind of all that. And that mindset has permeated our society. And so we basically live in a valueless society. We live in a values vacuum. And we're reaping the results. Do you realize that every 30 seconds there's a divorce in America? Every fourth child born in America is born to an unwed mother. 24 million kids are raised in homes with no dad in the picture. Now, back when I was in high school, in the 80s, late 80s, and then early 90s in college, AIDS was a big deal. You heard about it all the time. Well, we kind of swept that under the carpet in the name of, we got economic issues, but I'm here to tell you, it's still a big epidemic. And so we're reaping the result of that valueless society. But thousands of years ago, God gave us 10 values to build our lives on. The big 10. Does anyone know what those are called? The 10 commandments. The ten. How many believe in the 10 commandments? Come on, lift your hand up high, loud and proud and strong. Come on, how many believe the Ten Commandments, we should live by the Ten Commandments. How many believe they're important? Come on. Okay, put your hand down. Okay, how many know them? Okay, now wait, wait. Now, put your hand up. How many believe in them? Come on. How many believe in them? They're important. How many believe in them? Can I put your hand down? Now, how many know them? See the problem? <laughs> how do we do something we don't know? Right? And so for the next several weeks, we're going to look at these 10 values and how they can make a difference in your family, in your life, and why God gave them to us. Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 and 7 says, Never forget. Turn to your neighbor and say, Don't forget. Never forget these commands that I'm giving you. Teach them to your children. So God says two things here. He tells us to remember his commandments and to teach them. Remember them 
and teach them. Now, I've discovered something. One of the best ways to remember something is to tell somebody else. And so God set up a success system here. Okay? Remember them. And the way you're going to remember them is start by teaching them to your kids, to your family. Now, why did God give the Ten Commandments? Why did he give us these ten values to base our life on? Well, he didn't give them to us to hurt us. He gave them to us to help us. He didn't give them to us to restrict us. He gave them to us to release us into what life really can be. He didn't give them to us to punish us. He gave them to us to protect us. How many have kids? When your kids were small, they were learning to ride their bike. Maybe they still had the training wheels on. You know they want to go trucking down the road, right? But if they're really small, until they know the rules of the road and you're with them, and they want to ride their bike, what do you have to do? You have to restrict them. Because of their safety and for their well-being, you go, you know what? You can ride in the garage, right? Or you can ride in the driveway. But unless I'm with you, you cannot ride out in that road. Now, we didn't do that because we're such killjoys as parents, right? Uh, And we didn't do that for our benefit as much as it was for their safety, for their protection. And so you need to realize that God is the same way. Every time, every time. Tell your neighbor, every time. time. Say, without fail. Every time, every time, every single time, God says don't do something or do do something, don't do this, do this. Every time God does it, he never does that for our harm, for our hurt. To extract something from us. To hold us back. To contain us. He always tells us, don't do this or do this so that he can protect us. So that he could bless us. So that we could live life at the highest level possible. Every time God tells us not to do something or to do something, he always does it for a positive purpose. Always. Always. Turn to your neighbor and say, always. Always. He's not a killjoy. He's not holding back. He's not trying to squelch your fun. Hmm? See, God set up this universe, and this universe operates by physical laws. For example, we have the law of gravity. And you know what? That law is put there for our benefit so that we can walk and not float up to the ceiling. Amen? And that's a good law. But if you violate that law, if you're careless with that law and you're up on a 10-story building, how many know the law of gravity will hurt you? Amen? It's not so much that you'll break the law as the law will break you. Well, God set up some spiritual laws as well. God put spiritual laws in motion. And you know what? Speaking of the AIDS epidemic... You know, and I know that AIDS isn't contracted just through, uh, through sexual encounters. Uh, I know there's other ways as, as well, blood transfusions and, and that kind of thing. But that's one of the primary ways. And I remember 
when, when AIDS became such a big deal and on the national front lines, you know, you had Christians and you had other people saying, well, God's judging America. Well, that's like saying you were up on a 10-story building and God pushed you off. No, you were just careless. Or you, didn't, you weren't watching your step. Or you weren't paying attention and you fell and the law of gravity is there and you're coming down. Amen? And so it's not that God is sending judgment or whatever, but God has set these laws in motion and he put them in motion for our safety, for our protection, and our well-being. But if we violate his laws, it's not that he sends judgment. How many know the consequences are automatically built in? Are you with me? Amen? And so today, I want to talk to you about not the ten suggestions, but the ten commandments. And they're not optional. God says if you do these things, things will go great in your life. And if you don't do them, things are really going to get messed up. In fact, do you know that psychiatrists now are saying we need boundaries for emotional and mental health? Huh? See, we thought the 60s were so good. Do whatever. Just do whatever you want, whenever you want. Work when you want. Do drugs when you want. Have sex when you want with whoever you want. Doesn't matter, man. Peace, joy, love. Yeah, look where that got us. Bunch of burnout hippies. <laughs> Sorry, Roger. No, not really. <laughs> JB. <laughs> Dr. Parker, I want to see that picture. You know, no. I'm teasing. So psychiatrists now, so now we go are realizing that it, it, it's not healthy to just do whatever you want, whenever you want. That now we need boundaries for emotional and mental health. We need parameters. Children who grow up without boundaries grow up being extremely insecure. We need to know what's right and what's wrong and what are the parameters in life. We need that. Huh? Listen. You know what? You know what makes football fun? Knowing where's the out of bounds. Yeah, what, where's the goal line? Are we playing on a 100-yard field or is it a 50-yard field? It ain't going to work. Well, somewhere in that area. What do you mean somewhere in that area? I need a, How far do I have to run before I spike the ball because I scored on you, boy? Right? We need to know. You know, it's not going to work to show up and go, hey, we're just going to play sports. And you show up with the basketball. I show up with the baseball. Shelly shows up with the tennis ball. Greg shows up with the bowling ball. What are we going to play? Oh, it doesn't matter. What? No, we kind of need to know what's the game. What are the rules of the game? What ball is required? Are we going to roll it, throw it, pitch it, or shoot it? Shoot it. What are we going to? Are you with me? And so in the same way, we need these parameters, and God has given us these parameters, and God has given us these values. Now, as we go into these things and we launch into these things uh, today, we're going to look at the foundation for, for building a strong life and a strong family with the very first command. Now, the order of the Ten Commandments, they're not haphazard. God put them in there in this specific order on purpose. They are not there by accident. God intentionally put the first one first because it's the most important one. Exodus 20 verse 2 says, You shall have no other gods before me. 
So the principle is put God first. The principle is put God first. Amen? See, God demands top priority in our lives. And how many knows he died for us, we live for him. He doesn't, he doesn't play second fiddle. Number one. In fact, you're no different. In fact, I remember when I proposed to Shelly. I was at KIDY TV. I was working there. It's kind of cool that our program plays on KIDY TV now. Totally different from when I worked there. We literally, it was, all, it was all digital. But back when in the day, I literally had to put the tapes in to play the shows and the commercials. And I remember she came up one night. I grabbed a pillow from the couch in the front foyer. And I threw it down on the ground. Went to my knee. And I said, Shelly, I love you more than any other woman on the face of the earth. Out of all the millions of girls in the world. <laughs> I love you. I love you more than any other woman. Except for Barbara. And she said, hey, that's okay. Two out of three ain't bad. Right? Are you kidding me? Absolutely not. Shelly was so self-centered that she demanded that she be the only woman in my life. I mean, come on. Two ain't bad. Second place, that ain't bad. Out of all the women, two? We're no different, are we? See, when we get married... We have this built-in standard that we're the only ones. Talk to me, somebody. What makes us think God's any different? What makes us think he likes to come, number two, to our hobbies, to our self-centeredness, to our whatever it is that we're into? Amen? So, you shall have no other gods before me. we got to put God first. Now... What does it mean to have no other gods before me? Now, obviously, that's little g gods, all right? There's only one big g God, the one true and living God, right? But this says you shall have no other little g gods before me. So what is a little g God? A God is anything that dominates your life, anything that controls your life. A God is anything that dominates your life, anything That controls your life. An addiction can be a God. And before you get thumb up your nose at someone who struggles with alcoholism or someone who struggles with with drugs, you know what? We we have a God in, in, in the church that's socially acceptable. We call it food. Yeah, Pastor, you're preaching good. You just meddled. I'm leaving now. Come on, talk to me, somebody. You know, we thumb our nose at the alcoholic, but we don't say anything about the glutton. And it's killing us. 
It's killing America. The obesity rate in our nation is killing us. And so now you have people go to heaven early and they're standing before Jesus. He's like, what you here? Oh, no, I quit smoking. I quit drinking. It was that fried chicken. <laughs> huh? It's Kentucky fried. It's Colonel Sanders' fault. Where is he? So those things can be God. A career can be a God. Another person can be a God. We call it codependency. Golf can be a God. Tennis can be a God. Music can be a God. Any hobby can be a God. So even good things that God has created for us to enjoy become gods when you give them first place in your life. 1 John 5, 21. I love this in the Amplified. It says, little children, keep yourselves from idols or false gods. And then it gives a great working definition of what a God is. Anything and everything that would occupy the place in your heart due to God. Any sort of substitute for him that would take first place in your life. That's good, isn't it? Anything and everything that would occupy the place in your heart due to God. Any sort of substitute for him that would take first place in your life. So today, people's lives are falling apart. Families are falling apart. Why? Because we have a faulty foundation. You ever go by a house? You ever have a house built or see a house being built? And you drive by and all you see is the lot. And for the longest time, all it looks like, any, all the progress, is, it's all about the foundation. They're clearing the lot. They're leveling the lot. And then they're, they're putting in the forms for the concrete, right, for the cement. They're, they're putting in the rebar, right? And, and it seems like it takes forever. And then you finally see the concrete. And then they let it set. For a week to 10 days to two weeks, depending on how tall the structure is going to be and the kind of cement and how quick it dries and the weather and all those things. And so you drive by for many months. It looks like all they're doing is messing with the foundation. Talk to me, somebody. Why? Because if you don't get the foundation right, it doesn't matter how pretty the rest of the house is. But once that foundation is in place and it's set and it's ready to go, Man, the rest of the house, it actually goes up pretty quick. It's amazing how fast the progress is. Amen? Well, listen, your life is no different. Hmm? And so the foundation of our lives that we have to build our lives upon is we have to put God first. And you know what I've discovered? With every principle God gives us, He gives us a promise. For every principle He gives us to obey, he gives us a promise of a reward we can claim that goes right along with the principle. Amen? But we got to get this foundation right. In Matthew 7, verse 24, Jesus said, Everyone who hears these words of mine in what? Help me. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and what? Does not put them into practice. It's like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So it doesn't matter how much money you put into it. It's not going to last unless it's built on a strong 
sure, firm foundation. Amen? And the first foundation that we must build our lives on is we must put God first. And here's the principle with the promise, Proverbs 3, 6. In everything you do, put God first. And he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. Amen? Isn't that what we all want? So I want to share with you this morning, very practical, how do I put God first? Now, before we go, stay right there. Before we go to the first one, I want to share with you, I want to take an acrostic of the word first. F-I-R-S-T. And I want to give you five practical, biblical ways that you can put God first. Now, I'm here to tell you right now, this morning, we're only going to have time to get to the first one. But it's the most important one. Now, before I give it to you, don't go yet. Before I get to this, remember I asked this question when we started up. Elijah asked this question, how long are you going to stand on the fence? Or sit on the fence? How many sermons are we going to hear? How many weeks, months, and years are we going to go to church before we actually decide to put God's word into practice? Talk to me, somebody. Is this okay? You still love me? Amen, Pastor. You're preaching strong. We love it that way. Yeah, come on with it. So, and the reason I'm making a big deal here, are you ready for the first one? Are you ready? Are you ready? You got it? You got your notes? You got it lined out? F-I-R-S-T. You got ready? Ready to fill in for the F? You ready? Ready to fill it in? Now, before you do it, see, before we get there, I already know you're going to go, oh, I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew. Before I go there, though, here's the thing. I know you know. What I want to know is, are you going to do it? I know you know it, but are you doing it? How many times do you have to hear it? I'm smiling. How many times do you have to keep coming? How many times do you have to go, oh yeah, amen, oh yeah, that's right, Uh uh-huh. Before you just draw a line in the sand, cross that line, the point of no return, and go, you know what? That's what God said. That's what I'm going to do. Because I'm here to tell you this first thing I mentioned, this is the foundation. It's part of your foundation of putting God first. See, the Bible says when we put God first, the promise is, He crowns our efforts efforts with success. So all you got to do is look like any area of your life that you're struggling in. And I guarantee you it's an easy solution. God's not first. He's not number one. It's not rocket science. He's not mad at you. He loves you. But you know what? It's a priority problem. Put him first. Success will come. Victory will come. Is this all right? Are you ready for the first one? Are you, are you sure? You got your pencil ready? Are you, are you, are you, Josh, are you, you ready? Don't do it yet, but are you ready? Okay. Are, do you have your pencil ready? Do you have your iPad, iPhone? You ready to type it in? Now, when you put this, now when I give this to you, <laughs> you're not going to go, 
I knew. I, I knew. I, big deal. See, see, and, and it's going to be easy because it's going to be common and you've heard it. And, and it's just going to be easy for you to dismiss this. And you're, you know what? You're going to miss an opportunity for your life to be changed. Unless you ask this, yourself this question. Is God first in this area? Not, do I know about this? Have I heard about this 50 gazillion million times? No. Am I sitting on the fence, still wavering between the two? Because I haven't consistently put this into practice in my life. Are you ready for the first one? The F? Are you ready? Okay, here we go. I knew it. See, I told you. See. Finances. Put God first in your finances. So we're going to start with the most difficult one. Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord by giving Him the first part of all your income. And He will fill your barns with to overflow. See, God says, give me the first part back and I'll bless all the rest. God said, money is the number one way to test your priorities. I didn't say this. God did. Malachi 3, the Israelites are backslidden. And God says, return to me. And the people ask him, how do we return to you, God? How do we make sure you're number one in our lives again? What do we do? God didn't say pray. He didn't say go to church. He didn't say forgive your enemies. He said tithes and offerings. Start giving tithes and offerings. That's where you start in your return back to me. Amen, pastor. That's good. Amen. Say that. Why are you making a big deal about this, pastor? Because you know why? Because lives are falling apart, even within the church. And the reason is not because we need to hear another fancy, sexy sermon. It's because we need to apply the last 20 we, we've heard. And the reason lives are falling apart is because we don't have a firm foundation. And our foundation rests upon putting God first. And I gave you the stat that 5%, and they even say that's overshooting it. It's more like 2 to 3%. 5% of the body of Christ tithes. 5%. See, some of you, you think an idol and you think a God is some little Buddha statue. It's not. It's your Xbox. It's your rifles. It's your rackets. It's your golf clubs. It's your, it's your visa. It's your MasterCard. It's your car payment. It's your mortgage. It's your kids. It's your food. It's your restaurants. It's everything else you put before God. Wow, this came out a lot stronger than I thought. But I love you. And I care about you. And I want to see the body of Christ strong. I want to see us going where God wants us to go. But you know what? We got to be setting on this firm foundation. And that foundation is we obey God. God is first. And you know what? I guarantee you the people saying amen are people who do it. And that's okay. If you can't say amen, just say oh me and then begin to do it. And listen, relax. I'm not going to receive another offering, so chill out. <laughs> and listen, I'm here to tell you something. Listen, I'm not after your money. 
God is not after your money. He's after your heart. And where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Why do you think she wants the big rock? It's not because she's materialistic. She wants the best you can afford. Why? Because it's a proof of your heart. I'm not saying money buys you love. I'm not saying all that. But you know what? If you spend more on your car, what do you value more? Women, you should have went, amen, glory to God getting a new ring this afternoon. (laughs) Where are our priorities? What's important in your life? I'll tell you what's important in your life. Pull out your checkbook. You have the local church there? Then God's not important. See, it's not what you say is important. It's how you spend your money. The way you spend your money says what's first in your life. Deuteronomy 14, 23 says the purpose of tithing. Is this all right? You still with me? You still love me? You coming back next week? All right, you're not going to leave the church, right? You know why you don't need to leave CFC and you need to be here? And I'm not saying I'm the only one. But you know what? You have a lot of preachers who will not tell you this because they're afraid if I tell the truth and if I preach about money too hard and too strong, people will just leave. Well, you know, I'm sorry. God said this. It's in his word. He emphasized it. In fact, it's nothing new. If you go all the way back shortly after the garden, go back to Abel and Cain. And what do we see? What is the difference between Abel and Cain? How do we know those two dudes are so different? Because Abel brings what? We know they're different because of the type of offering they bring. So from the get-go, you go all the way back to Genesis. you know. And so somehow, somewhere, Adam instilled the importance of when you give something to God, you give him your best. And we see Abel brings the best of the flocks to God. And what's Cain bring? Leftover vegetables. The little bitty squash instead of the big zucchini. He brought him the little bitty peppers. Now just bring God the leftovers that didn't do that good. And it was a condition of his heart. And God, God frowned on that and said, it's not acceptable. Right? Amen? And he said, if you, if you do well, won't it go well with you? If you do well, if you do what's right? Hmm? So the purpose of tithing is to teach you to put God first in your life. So what is tithing? Let's establish that. What is tithing? Tithing is 10% of your income. 10% of whatever God blesses you with. So if... Uh, Here's an easy way. All you do is you take whatever amount God blesses you with and you remove a zero. That's a tithe. So if God blesses you with $10, what's a tithe? Remove the zero. $1. If God blesses you with $100, what's a tithe? Remove a zero. $10. If God blesses you with $1,000, what's a tithe? If God blesses you with $20,000, what's a tithe? $2,000. If God blesses you with $100,000, what's a tithe? 10,000. If God blesses you with a million dollars, what's a tithe? $100,000. Some of you would like, I'd like to experiment with that one right there. Right? Well, you know what? I bet you would, but you know what? If you fail to give God a dollar off of every 10, 10 off of every 100, there's no way you'd give him 100 grand out of a million. Because if you're not faithful in the little, there's no way you'll be ruler over much. Reminds me of a story. There was this guy, 
Greg knows this guy. There's this guy who started coming to church. This church friend we know. And uh, life is falling apart. He's in debt. Marriage is strained. In fact, his wife left him. Kids are wild. Comes to church. He hears a message kind of like this. About the importance of putting God first. One of the ways to do that is through giving. He gets saved. Okay? He starts tithing. And not overnight, but over time, his wife comes to church. She gets saved. His kids get saved. His family gets healed. Man, a few years ago, he starts getting out of debt. He's paying off his debt. He gets an increase and a big promotion in his job. Well, three or four years ago, and uh, man, now he's writing some big tithe checks. And man, it's bucketing all the money he's writing. So he, he meets with the pastor and he says, Pastor, you know, three or four years ago, man, my life's falling apart. And I came and I heard the importance of putting God first and gave my life to Jesus and I started giving. And man, God put my family back together and, and God blessed me and we're out of debt and I got this incredible job. But now I got to be honest with you, I'm really struggling. The size of tithe checks that I end up writing the church now, it's bugging me the amount of money I give. And the pastor says, oh, that's no problem whatsoever. Let's pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would demote my brother. <laughs> that you'd help him start earning the amount of money he used to make where he felt comfortable tithing and obeying your word. He's like, no, 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 don't, don't pray that prayer. So tithing is 10%. Amen? And, and listen, I know that we live in a sluggish economy, but you know what? I don't know any clearer, simpler advice to give you as a pastor that cares about you than to say, if you're in a financial mess, step one is to put God first in your finances. Okay? Why is tithing so important? Because God says, if I'm not tithing, then he's not really first in my life. I didn't say that. He said that. Okay? When do I tithe? 1 Corinthians 16.2 says on the first day of every week, you should put aside something from what you've earned and use it for the offering. So whenever you earn something, the next service you attend, you bring a tithe off that. Amen? See, tithing is an act of worship. Now, some people justify not giving by saying, well, you know what? I don't give because I serve in the church. You know, I'm on the praise team, or I work in the nursery, or, you know, I even come up in the, during the week, and I volunteer, and, you know, so I don't give my tithe, I give, I give my time. And that's great, that's important, and you ought to do that. In fact, God requires you to give of your time, your talents, and your tithe, your treasure. He requires all three. And so that's good you're doing that, but that's not a tithe. Are you with me? It's not a tithe. So tithe is 10% of your income, and it's one of the first ways that you put God first. So we're obviously not going to make it to the IRST. We'll pick it up there next time. But listen, as we get ready to close this service and pray, where are you this morning? We look at the commercials and they're funny. We look at God's pie. That God's pie about the tie, that commercial. And that's funny, but you know what? That's the way we live our life. So as you review your life, 
So we talk about building this foundation of putting God first. I want to ask you what Elijah began asking us this morning. How long are you going to sit on the fence? How many sermons are you going to hear? How many services are you going to attend before you just say, I'm going to obey God? I'm just going to obey God. You know what? If I have to eat beanie weenies for the next year, I'm going to obey God. If I have to drive an old clunker and not buy clothes for the next several months, I'm going to obey God. I'm putting him first. And get that foundation in place. So when the storms come, you're standing secure, knowing that when you obey God's principle, now you can claim His promise. Amen. Did you learn something today?